Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. How you feeling today? Everybody good? Oh, man. It is good to be here this morning. Hey, we're continuing our series on uh, called Asking for a Friend. And I want you to know today you picked a good weekend because we're talking about dealing with difficult people. Now, I know that there are difficult people in almost every area of your life. You can find difficult people in your family or in your workplace, and I, I know some of you guys are going, I don't know, Greg, I look at my family, or I look at all the people I work with, and I go, I don't know we have any difficult people. That's because chances are you are the difficult person in that, <laughs> that environment, all right? We're just saying, all right? Matter of fact, you could come to church, and you could find difficult people. They're sitting all around you. Matter of fact, turn to your friend right now and say, man, I'm really glad you're at church today, all right? <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead, let's just welcome people in Jesus' name here today. Hey, listen, there are difficult people all around us. And, and, and quite frankly, um, it's something that all of us at some point in our lives are gonna deal with. So we wanna talk about today, how do we deal with the difficult people that are in our lives? Just to give you a little context about who we're talking about and the difficult people we're referring to, I made a list today of people that you might run into in your life that you would categorize as challenging or difficult. Okay, you ready for it? There are cranky people, mean people, crazy people, pushy people, people who talk too loud, people who talk way too slow, people who talk too much, self-centered people, negative people, nitpicky people, weird people, aggressive people, passive aggressive people, arrogant people, harsh people, intimidating people, lazy people, greedy people, whiny people, aloof people, people who drive too slow, people drive way too fast, inconsiderate people, distracted people, nagging people, and my personal favorite, people who love Brussels sprouts, all right? <laughs> Listen, I don't know what it is, but you guys gotta quit pushing that Brussels sprout agenda on everybody around you. There is nothing that you can do or any way that you can prepare them that are gonna make them taste anything better than what they are. It tastes like bug spray, in my opinion, okay? There are difficult people in every area of your life, wouldn't you agree? How many of you guys would say, yeah, you, you, you listed off several people that are in my life right now because difficult people are all around us. And they elicit one of two responses in us, all right? The, they either uh, elicit a fight response because they push every one of our buttons and they seem to know exactly when to push them. And all we wanna do is just rise up and fight them, right? There's a fight response that gets elicited every time we're around them or the opposite. 
They elicit the flight response and we do everything and anything to avoid them at all costs. We see them coming down the hallway, we run the other way and God magically places them in the next hallway, right? So that we can run into them. They elicit some kind of flight response in us, right? But I want you to see today in scripture that Jesus gives us a third more appropriate for believers, more appropriate response to how we are supposed to deal with our enemies. And it's found in the book of Luke chapter six. And this is what Jesus says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. And you go, okay, Greg, I think that's taking it a little far. I wouldn't consider the difficult people in my life to be my enemies, all right? They're just difficult people. And then some of you would say, yep, that's them. They're my enemies. I hate their guts, that kind of thing, right? But either way, what Jesus is doing is, is he's expanding the spectrum on which we are supposed to extend love to other people. And if we, our enemies are included on the list of people that we love, that would also include the people that cause us the most distress or trouble in our life. Even those difficult, annoying individuals that cause us so much trouble, they're in the list, they're included. And quite frankly, this is arguably one of the most difficult sayings of Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's a really challenging saying. Look, at, he said, we're supposed to do good to those who hate you. I mean, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It's a really challenging, a really challenging statement that Jesus makes. It's even more difficult to follow. You know why? Because it's counterintuitive. Matter of fact, at best, it's wildly impractical. Jesus, if you lived the world that I lived in or you worked in the office that I worked in, this doesn't work. This doesn't seem to work. Well, here's the deal. Jesus makes it even more difficult. Look at what he says in verse 29. It says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Then he says in verse 30, give to everyone who asks of you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. And, you're, and, and immediately all these tensions start rising up about all the difficult people in our life, and we go, Greg, is Jesus insinuating that we're supposed to be some kind of a doormat? And that every time somebody hurts us or insults us or causes difficulty in our life, we're just supposed to lay down and take it? Are we supposed to be some sort of a doormat? And honestly, our trouble with this particular passage really comes from our misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying um, or and what Jesus is saying love is. To understand this completely, we have to first identify or define what love isn't, what Jesus is not saying about love. Jesus is not saying uh, that, that love is ignoring justice or allowing evil, evil or, or destructive behavior to continue. Matter of fact, if you were to read this particular passage in its context and you were to look at all the things that Jesus was saying to his followers here, you would see that there's actually a balance here between justice and mercy. Matter of fact, you would see that balance and that tension being held all throughout scripture. You look back in the Old Testament, Micah chapter six, verse eight. This is what God says that he requires of you. What does the Lord require of you? To do what? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You see that? There's a balance there that's supposed to be played between justice, not ignoring justice, but also acting mercifully and gracefully to people around us. And you see it in Jesus's life as well. You remember Jesus was the most merciful, healing the sick and caring for those that were uh, oppressed or left behind in society. 
Well, one day Jesus walks into the temple and sees that they're money changers that are taking advantage of these poor people that he cared about. He was seeing the injustice that was taking place. So what did Jesus do? Man, he started flipping over the tables like what any, any good person would do. He saw a, a need for justice and he acted. You see, there's always a balance there at play between justice and mercy. So what love isn't, clearly from scripture, love is not ignoring justice or just allowing evil to continue in life. You know what else love isn't? Love doesn't necessarily mean that we have to trust people either. There's a difference between loving someone and trusting someone. Trust is earned. Love should be given unconditionally. Do you see the difference there? If someone has proven themselves untrustworthy and they betrayed your trust and they've hurt you, it would be unwise to continue to extend trust to them, but that doesn't excuse us from extending love to them. There's a big difference between trusting someone and loving them. The other thing that love isn't, love isn't agreeing with the person's behavior. Most of us think in order to be loving towards other people that we've got to agree with their behaviors or their beliefs. But nothing can be further from the truth. Just because you disagree with somebody doesn't necessarily mean you don't have to love them. Matter of fact, believers, we ought to be the best at this. We ought to set the pace. When it comes to people that disagree with, we disagree with, or people that we don't agree with, we ought to love them anyway. We should agree to disagree agreeably better than anybody else on the planet. We should set the pace in this, in this area. It is possible to love somebody that you disagree with, that, that's difficult toward you. And you don't necessarily, uh, people that don't share your beliefs or your convictions, it is possible to agree to disagree. So what Jesus is meaning by this passage here, the point of Jesus' message here is this. He's saying that the way that we respond to others, even the most difficult people in our life, is gonna be radically different than the current cultural norms. It's gonna be completely different than what you expect. Matter of fact, when you read this particular passage that we pointed out here today, um, the point that Jesus is making here pertains more to what we are not supposed to do than what we are supposed to do, right? If you read every one of those instances, what Jesus uh, is saying is the natural and primary response of most people would be retaliation or retribution. It would just make sense. Eye for an eye, let's get them back, right? They insult me, I'm gonna insult them. But he, what he's saying is he's setting a new standard for his kingdom, specifically the citizens of his kingdom, followers of Jesus. There's a new standard that our natural and primary or first response isn't retaliation or retribution. That's reserved for God. Our first and primary natural response ought to be to extend love to those people. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? And that's why, that's why it feels so difficult. The other reason why it's so difficult is because loving difficult people is just difficult, it's hard. The truth is, is that it's really easy to love people who are like you. It's really easy to love people who like you. And, and, and the truth is, is loving easy people is easy, but loving difficult people is really hard. And so what Jesus does is he says, look, I'm gonna give you three very practical things you can do when it comes to loving even the most difficult people in your life. And he listed them off in the beginning of that passage. He says. Um, can we go back here real quick? One, one passage, please. There you go. There it is, there it is. But I say to you, love your enemies. And he says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. What does he say to what we're supposed to do to uh, people that are difficult is to do good, to bless them 
and to pray for them. So the first thing he says is to do good towards them. Now when you translate that word in the original language, to do good means to act rightly towards them or to extend to them righteousness and justice. Now this one's hard for us because our natural response when people are difficult in our life is not to act right to them. They insult us, we wanna return insult for insult, right? My natural response when people are difficult in my, in my life is to find as many people around me as I can that agree with me about that person's behavior and who they are and the way they act and see as many people as I can get on my side. You know so-and-so, can you believe what he did? I can't believe what he did. And we get as many people as we can on our side. And then what we do is we, is we try and prove to ourselves and other people while we are right and they are wrong. And every time we do, we just get more angry and more angry. And then we begin pulling out all the things they've done wrong in life. We start listing all of their, their past mistakes and their failures and all the reasons why all the things they've done have hurt other people. We build this massive case against them, right? This is my natural response, but it's not doing right by them. It's not, it's not being just or righteous towards them. This is what love requires of us though. Take a look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse five. It says this. Love does not dishonor others. And my natural response is to talk about them, slander and gossip, that's my natural response. But what does love require? To speak honorably about them. Not giving honor where honor is not due, but giving it where it is due. It's not self-seeking, meaning I don't have to prove myself right to anyone, including myself. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no records of wrongs. Do you see that? Here's what happens when you and I begin to talk about what our, our words actually fuel our emotions. And the more we talk about people, the worse it gets, the more difficult they become in our life. And what Jesus is telling us is we ought to do good. And even though they do wrong against us, we do right to them. We take the high road. Do you see what he's saying here? We, do, we act justly towards those that are difficult around us. The second thing he says is that we ought to bless them. This one's difficult too. There's a lot of different ways that we can bless them. I think of ways you can speak kindly about people. You can encourage them or you know, uh, be generous towards them. But let me give you two powerful things that you can do that will bless those around you, even the most difficult people around you. The first one is this, to extend graceful assumptions towards them. Somebody once said that we love to judge people based on their actions, but we judge ourselves based on our intentions. You ever done that? But here's what I wanna tell you today. Believers, I think it should be the exact opposite. I think you and I should judge ourselves more harshly on the way that we behave. Why? Because we know better. As followers of Christ, we ought to take more more seriously our actions on our words towards other people. And we ought to begin judging people not based on their actions, but based on their intentions. We need to extend graceful assumptions towards people. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. This is what it says. It says, the wise or good sense makes one slow to anger. Why? I mean, think about it. My natural response when somebody does something to me that I don't like, somebody's being difficult in my life, is to get really angry. I respond to their actions or their behaviors with anger. But it says wisdom requires that we're slow to anger. Why? To do this one, one powerful thing. It says, and it is, it is to his glory, to your benefit, to overlook an offense. And this is what it means to overlook an offense. To look beyond the offense to see what the intentions were behind them. We gotta, sometimes we need to give people the benefit of the doubt. 
The truth is, is that we need to assume sometimes the best possible intentions for even the worst possible behavior. We give ourselves that kind of grace, and the truth is, is we ought to extend it to other people, even some of the most difficult around us. So we give graceful assumptions. We bless people with graceful assumptions. The other thing we do is that we tell them the truth. And this one is so difficult for us, isn't it? There are two categories that we generally fall into when it comes to giving people the truth. Is number one, we just don't tell them the truth. Because anytime you tell somebody the truth, you know it's gonna cost you something. And deep down you go, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve to hear the truth. I'm just gonna let them wallow in their own misery. You know? And the other side of it is we go, you know what? Truth hurts, and it just feels good to hurt them every once in a while. I'm just gonna say what everybody else is thinking, right? We love to tell the truth, but Ephesians chapter four, Paul tells us another way that we are supposed to respond to believers. He says this, that we are supposed to tell people the truth in what? Tell the truth in love, yeah, yeah. Telling the truth in love is really not about the truth, is it? It's a power play, and oftentimes, it doesn't, it doesn't elicit the kind of response that you actually want, but when you tell people the truth in love, what Paul says is actually, it's a, it's a mark or a sign of a maturing believer. If you're growing in your understanding of God and your faith in God, what Paul is actually saying in Ephesians chapter four is that this ought to be something that we do on a regular basis that we share truth because we love, and we do it in love because we actually wanna benefit the, the, those that listen. Do you see what he's saying? He said maturing believers actually do this really well. We share the truth in love. The last thing that Jesus tells us to do is he says we're supposed to pray for our enemies. And I thought, oh, finally. Jesus is telling us something to do that's easy. Save the easiest one for last. And then the more I began thinking about it and working through this, I realized, man, that's actually one of the most difficult ones. Because, here, because here's what happens when you begin praying about your, not praying about your enemies, that's what we often do, but praying for your enemies. Here's what happens. Your, your, it, it actually begins to change you. Praying softens our hearts even to the most difficult or hardest people in our lives. And, and, and quite frankly, that's what, that's what God is really all about anyway. It's about your change. It's about developing something in you that he's trying to create. Matter of fact, there may be difficult people in your life today that God has placed in your life specifically to grow a certain characteristic or quality that he wants you to have in your life. And the only way that you're gonna be able to experience that or see that come to fruition in your life is through difficult people in your life. Oftentimes, if you need to develop love, God's gonna put some hard to love people in your life that are gonna really challenge you. If you need to develop the art of speaking truth and love, some difficult people are gonna challenge it right out of you. If you need to develop hope in your life, there's gonna be some really negative people that are gonna be all around you that are gonna make it difficult for you to maintain your hope. If you need to develop patience in your life, God's gonna send you a three-year-old and he's gonna beat it into you, all right? Do you see what happens? God actually sends difficult people in your life. And when you pray to God, what you begin to discover is what God is actually doing through them in you. Do you see that? And God is actually at work in you even in the difficult people in your life. The second thing that, you, that happens when you begin to pray for your enemies, and this is powerful, you hand the keys of your happiness, joy, and peace back to their rightful owners. Because isn't it true that generally when we have really hard to love people in our life or difficult people in our life, that we begin attributing our lack of peace 
and our lack of joy and happiness in our life to their actions and their behaviors. We say things like, well, if they would just change, man, things would be a lot easier for me. I'd have a lot more peace in my life. I'd be a lot more joyful. The reason I'm not happy is because of the way they behave. And I'll never be happy until they change or they're out of my life, right? And what we've done is we have handed them the keys to our joy and happiness and they don't belong there. But when you begin to pray, and you begin to pray for your enemies, what you're doing is you're recentering yourself on the source of unlimited joy, peace, and satisfaction in life. Do you see that? There is, listen, it's a dangerous place to be when you be, begin to assume that, that your circumstances and people in your life are the primary sources of your joy and happiness. If that's you, you're always gonna be miserable and you'll always be disappointed. But when you pray to God, what you're doing is you're saying, God, even in the midst of my current circumstances and these difficult people, I can still have joy. I can still have peace, God. You're still at work. God is our ultimate source of joy and peace and happiness in our life, not the people that are around us. This last week I was reading this passage and I got to this last verse in this passage and I thought, oh man, this is, this is easy. I know what this says. And I kind of passed it over until later in the week. I began to look at it with fresh eyes. And it's a, it's a verse that's actually, it's a verse that's actually really familiar to all of you. It's called the golden rule. Most of you are familiar with this passage. You may not even know it, it was new, it was a Bible verse, but Jesus actually said this. He said, do to others as you would have them do to you. And, and most of us understand and know this and we apply this to our lives all the time. We say, man, I want other people to be generous and so I'm generous to other people. If you want people to be kind to you, then I'm gonna be kind to other people. Um, and that makes a lot of sense and it's true, but there's something more powerful to realize when you read this particular passage in context. He said it right after he was talking about loving your enemies. That means that the others he's talking about in the passage are the difficult people in your life. He's talking about the difficult, that we're supposed to love them in the way that we want other people to treat us. And then it hit me this week. When he, when, when he, when he makes this statement, this powerful statement, what he's actually insinuating, he says, do to others as you would have them do to you, he's insinuating that chances are you're a difficult person in somebody else's life, right? You've caused all kinds of difficulties in your life. And here's what happens. When you and I pray, we begin to pray for our enemies and we bring our difficulties to God. This is what happens. God reminds us of our own sinfulness and our own selfishness. You ever been there? You realize that uh, you're not blameless in this relationship, right? Man, and every time I pray, man, I just feel like God reminds me not only of how selfish and sinful I am, but of how good he is. And he reminds me of the extent that he was willing to go to demonstrate just how good and loving he is. I'm reminded of my, one of my favorite passages. It's in Titus chapter three. It says this, at one time, we too, that's you and me, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy and being hated and hating one another. Sounds like a bunch of difficult people, doesn't it? But listen to this. It says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of what? His mercy. Go, oh, man, every time I pray, I'm just reminded of just how good God is and the kind of love that he extended towards me. Why in the world would I withhold that from anyone around me, right? He was good to me. I ought to extend that to other people. Now, 
I've told you before that I am a big aviation and weather geek. And so a couple weeks ago, I was watching the news, all the news reports about Hurricane Dorian, and it was barreling across the Bahamas towards the East Coast, there the coast of Florida. And I was just thinking, man, all those people that are in its path, man, I was worried about all those folks and the destruction that it was gonna cause. This was a massive category four hurricane and it was moving pretty slowly across that area, right? And immediately I started thinking, because I'm a weather guy and because I'm kind of an aviation guy too, I began thinking, I'm wondering, I mean, what's it doing to all the airplanes around there too? I mean, that's, that part of the United States sees a lot of heavy commercial air traffic. And I thought, man, all those planes that are flying into places like Miami and Fort Lauderdale and even as far north as Orlando, what are they doing to get around Hurricane Dorian and all the big weather bands that were coming off of that big storm? And so I got my weather app out and I started looking at my radar app and I could see all the planes that were coming in. It was so interesting because they were all taking these big wide berths around this storm. All the planes that were coming in from Europe that would normally have direct routes into places like Miami or Fort Lauderdale were going way far north and coming down the east coast of the United States to fly into that part of the United States. Planes that were coming up from South America were going way around to the west, coming the backside of the, the airport just to avoid all of the storms and that sort of thing. And I started looking at about this deal and I thought, wow, this is fascinating. And then I looked, I zoomed in and I saw one plane and it was way out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, right over the Bahamas. And I thought, what in the world are they doing out there over the storm? I mean, there's a category four hurricane and there's a plane flying right through it. And then I clicked on it and this is the image I saw here. This is the image that I got right here. There was a plane out there doing figure eights over Hurricane Dorian right through the eye of the hurricane. Then I discovered it was one of those weather hunters that was actually flying in the storm, back out of the storm. It's flying in the storm, it's flying back out of the storm and turn left and fly back in the storm, fly back in the storm, in and out. For seven to 10 hours, this thing was making figure eights over category four hurricane, right? This is one of their, the uh, NOAA or National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration planes. This is a specially equipped P3 Orion that was designed specifically to fly into storms like this, right? And it's got all kinds of weather gear and it's reinforced to fly through hurricane force winds. And I thought, man, what a ride, you know? How amazing would it be to think about all the turbulence that they're flying through and all the wind shear and, you know, dropping, you know, a thousand feet at a time kind of thing. And I thought that has got to be crazy to be in that plane right now, to be experiencing what they're, if you're afraid of turbulence, you do not wanna be on this plane, okay? I thought that would be amazing to be on that flight. I would love to be out there. And, and the reason I would love to be out there for two reasons, I would go, number one, that pilot knows what he's doing, right? Those pilots are well-trained um, and, and, and seasoned guys that fly through this stuff all the time. It's what they do for a living. And the second reason I feel confident about flying in that plane right there, is because it is specially reinforced. It's a specially reinforced airplane that's built to withstand the kind of hurricane force winds that are gonna be um, impressed upon this plane during that flight. Now, here's what I thought. I thought about that plane. I thought, man, they're uniquely equipped to fly through those kind of storms. And then I thought about us. And I thought, we're uniquely equipped. Number one, our God knows what he's doing. And number two, we're uniquely equipped because you and I have experienced the love of God unlike anything we've ever experienced in our life. I mean, think about it, who better? 
I mean, who better to weather the, the turbulent wake of difficult people in your life than those who are enemies and far from God, who are now adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High, right? I mean, think about it. Who better to extend forgiveness to people who don't seem to deserve it than those who have had their debt canceled and their sin washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Who better? I mean, who better to endure the frustrations, annoyances, and insults of a few hard to love people than those who are fully and radically loved by the Savior of the world who endured the horrors of the cross? Who better? Who better to speak love and life into the harshest of people than those who will one day have these words spoken over them. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Who better, who better, there's no one better equipped to love the most difficult people in the world. No one. Than those who have found and experienced the power of God's unrelenting love. Don't you agree? Guys, there's nobody better in the world than you and I to extend that kind of radical, and I mean it's radical love and mercy to those people that even the most difficult people around us. So let's pray to God today and ask for that kind of love and that kind of courage. Father, what you are asking us to do, God, is difficult. It's hard. We read a passage like that, Jesus, and we try and apply that to our current circumstances, and it just seems impossible. But we know when you look down in this world and you looked at our life and our circumstances, where we've been, God, you didn't see an impossible circumstance. You've seen an opportunity to extend love in the most radical way. And God, I just pray that we would have the ability to do that as well through your power and through your spirit. So God, give us the courage this week to extend love and grace to those around us who don't deserve it. To love people and speak to people that are even the most difficult people in our life in a way that would honor you and reflect the kind of love that you've given us. God, we need you in this one. It's gonna be hard, God, but God, we wanna honor you this week in the way that we live. So God, give us the power. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. slash digital.